Welcome to Reach, your platform to connect with other executive assistants and acquire game-changing knowledge and perspective. Reach is designed to inspire your workday, guide you through pivotal moments in your career, and transform you into the executive assistant you've always wanted to be. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Reach. This is your host, Jessica Van. I'm the founder and CEO of Maven Recruiting Group, and I have one of my all-time favorite ladies in the studio with us today, Anita Gaida. Hi, Anita. Hey there, Jessica. Hi. So nice to have you with us. Thank you for being a part of our program. Of course. I've known Anita for definitely over a decade, and I have admired you so much uh, from the first moment I met you, just your graciousness, your classiness, your intelligence, your humility. You have always been one of my absolute favorites. So I am truly, truly, truly honored to have persuaded you to join us today. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, so why do I like Anita? Well, first of all, she is, and who is Anita? She's currently the personal assistant to the former CEO of Quotient Technology, which is a promotions and media technology company and is also the parent company of coupons.com. In her nearly 25 year long career, Anita has had really two primary support relationships, each lasting over a decade, which I think suggests a lot, not only about your immense value to these executives, but also the depth and the extent of the kinds of partnerships you form and the tremendous opportunities for learning and exchange that you've had in your career. Furthermore, when we look at Anita's career, she has been courtside with some of the most formidable and accomplished titans of tech, including Meg Whitman, who many of our listeners know and recognize as the former CEO of both eBay and Hewlett Packard, Anita has also worked for Lars Dahlgaard, who was the founder and CEO of Success Factors, and Stephen Boll, who uh, was the CEO of Coupons.com. So today we'll be hearing from Anita firsthand about some of the lessons she's learned and really the observations she's had by being in the room with such renowned tech leaders and executives. So to start us off, how did you get into this field? And what first sparked your interest in the EA career? Well, this is a good story because I, um, out of high school, uh, graduated high school in 1983. And I did go to junior college, but really only to play sports. And um, I never really uh, followed through with my academics. Well, I worked, believe it or not, delivering car parts in my youth. I worked in a dry cleaning uh, business for nine years, got my state board and was a licensed dry cleaner. Then I did not know in, that about you. Yes. But, and then <laughs> back in, I believe, 92, um, I was in San Francisco working, pressing clothes and and you know, running the machines, and a friend of mine who was a an exchange student, she was from uh, Paris, and she came to see me, and she says, what are you doing? You, I mean, what are you doing with your life? 
And that day after work, I, I'm telling you, I lived in San Francisco and I went home and I called my parents and I said, I want to come home. I want to go back to school. And I must have been maybe, I, I, I'm thinking maybe 32 at the time. Anyways, I put all my stuff on the curb in San Francisco, had a little sale, and there I am. I went home, and I enrolled uh, in uh, a junior college, and I was a nursing major. I've always loved the sciences, and so I, I did really well in college. I was an A student, but part-time, I started working as an administrative assistant uh, for a friend of mine. She was working as uh, as the I guess the executive assistant. So I went in there working part-time and I would do filing and, and then I was doing accounts payable. And before you know it, um, I wound up, I hate to say it, but I took my friend's job. I wound up being the operations facilities man manager for NASA Ames Technology Commercialization Center. And what they did was they housed entrepreneurs who were using NASA's technology. Well, anyways, uh, the director of that program says, you're a nursing major, you should get into business. Business is where it's at. So I changed my major to business and I continued working part-time for, for NASA. And what I found was I was actually good at what I did. I never, I never thought I, you know, because I'm typically shy and reserved. And there, I had no choice but to be, you know, assert myself. I was running the facility. And coincidentally, uh, Pierre and Jeff, they are the founders of eBay. Mm, and, Amer uh, Pierre Omidyar, right? Mm -hmm, Pierre Omidyar. Okay. And, and I was, they came into our business incubator. And I put them, we had this big open space. And I was the person who gave them cubicle walls and desks and they were in our business incubator and eventually they graduated from our incubator and they needed an office assistant someone to run the 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 day-to-day -day. and since i thought i was comfortable where i was at nasa i told my younger sister who was a financial analyst at a hospital i said you should go work for them and <laughs> My sister was employee number four. Wow. Then, but then my, I was still working for, for NASA. And then uh, as uh, eBay matured, they were going to hire a CEO. And so my sister, who had already been at the company uh, a year or so, says, hey, we're hiring a CEO. It's a woman. Her name's Meg Whitman. You should come work for her. And the rest is history. I wow. Yeah, it, I my sister says she's in her office. Come down, and I would leave work early, and I'd stand outside of her office, hoping just to get a handshake. And she would be chatting on the phone and giggling. And I said, "Okay, I'll come back another time." Well, finally, I got my interview. Was Meg Whitman already a big deal at that time? No, she had she had been running a um, she was working for Hasbro. And she was really mm -hmm. a marketing a marketing person, bringing bringing mm -hmm. you know Mr. Potato Head to life, etc. Sure, yeah. But but uh, back then, Benchmark Capital was doing a search, and they they thought her skill set was perfect for the job. 
you know, Pierre was running it as CEO, but they needed somebody who had been in the business world, if you will, you know, not that Pierre didn't, but just someone who was, uh, you know, comfortable with managing a humongous budget, etc. And uh, Meg was the one. Wow. Yeah. So, um, you know, when I met Meg and, and we, I sat across from her in the room and this is kind of what I do, you know, I, why I last so long, I guess, but I sat there and I said, Hey Meg, you know, I will take care of you. You don't have to worry about anything. I will take care of you. And let me tell you, I got hired that same evening. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and that was my start of my career as a true EA 12 and a half years with Meg. Yeah. Right. And um, I loved every minute of it. Yeah. There's so many parts of that story that I love. And I think I think there's this and we've heard this, you know, with with other guests, like it seems like sometimes there's just this moment of stars aligning serendipity, but also like kind of putting yourself in the position um, of, of having that sort of happenstance happen to you, right? Like kind of being, being in, being in the right place, but also I think always preparing for the unexpected because you never know who's watching. You never know who's paying attention to you. You never know who's looking, who you, who you might, you know, whose attention you might garner or who you might impress. Mm-hmm. And clearly, you know, you had a rapport with Pierre, you know, your sister, uh, you know, connecting you to Meg, like what an, what an awesome sequence of events. But I think like the, the thing that, that I take from that is just really showing up as though you're, you're, you know, every day is, is, uh, is the final rehearsal, you know? And it's like, mm-hmm. you just never know. You never mm-hmm. know. Exactly. Exactly. It's so serendipitous. Mm-hmm. So you've mentioned to me before that, you know, throughout your career, you've always found yourself quote unquote in the room, right. Um, with these executives or, or board members or whoever, um, seated alongside them for important discussions and executive meetings. Was your presence in the room, was that the result of you advocating for your place there or was it more kind of a natural extension of how your executives viewed your importance and your relevance in those moments? Well, I have to say that it's the second. I never um, advocated to get into a room. Uh, You know, when I work for Meg, she's like, come on, exec staff meeting, let's go. So there I would go. You know, and and it was Meg, the CEO, and she had all men uh, for her senior staff. And then Mm. Meg and I, Meg and I in the room and Meg, Meg always included me in everything, Uh, you know, you know, sit down. And I learned so much from Meg, but I would just sit there. I, I didn't have a role to play. I just observed And I think that was the best, you know, one of your questions, the best MBA school I could have ever gone to, Mm -hmm. you know, because I just sat there and I listened, I watched her, I observed how they uh, interacted with her. And um, even when I worked for, well, um, I worked for Lars for temporary, but he also had me join his meetings. And for Lars, he wanted me to take notes, which I did. Um, mm-hmm. And then when I worked for Stephen, 
another love Stephen. He was great. He and I had a very good relationship as Meg and I did. And he included me in everything. He would just say, come on, you know, I never said, oh, can I sit in on this? No, it was always just Anita, come on or sit in on this. So, mm. yeah, so it was great. It, great learning experience. I, I couldn't have learned it from a book. Let me just say that. Mm-mm. Oh, definitely not. None of this stuff. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned this, you know, that, that Meg was brought in <clears throat> to lead, to lead eBay, but I think it's really important to underscore that when Meg joined, the company was basically a $4 million a year company in terms of annual revenue. She took it to $8 billion annually in revenue. I mean, like that, like just to fathom, like to process that, that's insane. Like I, I can't even, I can't even think of that, like that, that trajectory. So needless to say, you've seen some things. So what stories come to mind and kind of key observations or pivotal moments that you were able to witness firsthand during that catalytic trajectory? Well, I have many a story, but one that sticks out um, is, and, and just shows Meg's character and how she runs, how she ran eBay, is, uh, I don't recall the year offhand, but we had a major outage. It was in the beginning stages of eBay and um, our technology, you know, we were building upon it. We we're getting millions of users. And one day the site goes down. And, you know, for that, that means people can't list. Uh, people mm-hmm. that have listed, they've paid their fees. They can't, you know, they, they're, the site is down. And I recall, uh, you know, getting a phone call. I think it was at one or two in the morning and it was Meg. Anita, get over here. Um, all hands on deck. And so there I go running to 24-hour Safeway and buying soap and toothpaste and <laughs> shampoo <laughs> and toiletries and uh-huh. sleeping bags. And we made a, well, she had me make a war room, if you will. And wow. we have everybody, we're, we're staying here till this site comes up. And Meg, she, you know, she was there. She, she slept there. Um, on site and you know eventually the site did go up but then you know her business sense had to think okay well we've got millions of users lost all this money what are we going to do you know and she basically said you know what's the right thing to do here for our customers Hmm. and and you know she i think she refunded everybody into the tune of five million dollars Wow. Yeah. And, um, but you know, in her book, she wrote, you know, she talks about this and she says, you know, wall street didn't come down on them. You know, the, um, uh, the sellers and buyers didn't come down because Meg, you know, did the right thing. And, and in, in doing the right thing, eBay had a set of values. You know, every company has their mission statement and their values. And Mm -hmm. I think that what made Meg and eBay so successful, and especially during this outage, which could have just brought the company down, it could have been just a big failure. But um, eBay's values, I think, um, were Meg's values. 
and you know just just to say a few of them one was basically people are basically good and that mm -hmm. everyone everyone uh recognizes and have respect for everyone as a unique individual uh treat others the way you want to be treated basic basic values but she lived by those at ebay and so did the other executives and i think that's why ebay did so well in the long run but during this major outage uh, it was down for some time and it, no one gave up on ebay and i just think that it was because of meg's transparency and her leadership with her team that the company you know prevailed in in that crisis you know yeah absolutely i mean that it that's those are the moments i think that really exemplify those crisis moments right that, that oh, really yeah. exemplify how someone processes when things are unexpected and really like when there's a, a question of integrity and i think all of those those moments really magnify someone's um someone's values someone's integrity all of the things oh yeah and you i know, also Ma yeah sorry go ahead oh i was just gonna say you know and, and meg wasn't if you will tech savvy tech trained but she listened you know and she wanted to learn and she was in the fray she would be right there even if you know they would be explaining things to her about the servers this and that she was there she didn't she didn't go home she showed her her leadership by being there you know just her presence 100% i mean the fact that she was in the sleeping bags with <laughs> yeah. the with the head and shoulders or whatever herbal <laughs> essences whatever it was that you bought from safeway <laughs> um, I, I love that i love that visual that's so that's so good so Thinking about how these executives navigate their roles and, and how they lead, you know, what are some of the key lessons that you can share with our audience about their leadership style? Well, you know, I'll, I'll, speak to, I'll speak to Meg first because I know her so well, and then Stephen. And I think both of them share that they're approachable, hmm. you know, they're not just high and mighty, you know, in their office and only dealing with, uh, you know, their staff, if you will, their senior staff, their executive staff. Both of them were very approachable. You know, when I worked for Meg, you know, uh, I would, I would uh, look out the window and see her coming. And so I would already have her coffee and I'd run down the stairs and open the door, grab her briefcase, give her her coffee, and then we'd chat all the way coming up the stairs. But along the way, she'd put her, you know, her bags down. And then what would she do? She'd, I call it walk the halls. We were all in cubicles, but she would walk the cubicles and I'd be, you know, mm -hmm. behind her, but she'd be saying, hello, good morning, good morning, good morning, you know, and, and was approachable, you know, same with Steven, you know, People didn't feel afraid to come up and, and start conversation about anything, business or personal. I think the other thing uh, is also being a good listener. Meg, I, I loved being in the room with Meg because she used to take notes and hear everybody, everybody's opinion. And she wouldn't, she wouldn't make a decision right then and there. She'd, she'd go back to her, her 
office and she'd ponder it and mm-hmm. then she'd she'd make a you know informed decision and and sometimes you know the things that she heard maybe she didn't take any of their advice but at least she considered it and then she would make you know make her decisions but mm-hmm. it was always a it was never a shoot from the hip kind of uh, decision making it was always listening 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 and then making those informed decisions and mm-hmm. i think the other thing that made her great and i think steven as well is that people matter employees matter you know um for without them you know you're not a company and i think that you know they both took really good care of their employees and made them feel uh you know that they were needed they were special you know mm-hmm. so and i can say that for myself um for the relationship that i had with both um uh Meg and Steven is they became my friends and they're my friends to this day. Mhm. You know, and and that that says a lot because these folks are busy, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, I get that Christmas card every year from Meg. Uh, we text on our birthdays and uh you know, Steven, he's so sweet. He'll he'll text me on Mother's Day to tell me happy birthday. <laughs> I mean, I have really good relationships with them. <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it, it's nice. It's a good feeling. And it I think, is. And I think that, um, you know, lessons, lessons learned from both of them in the business world is just, you know, listen, listen to your employees, mm-hmm. listen to your, your customers, you know, and, and always make informed decisions and, and be approachable because yeah. people matter. It, they certainly do. And yet, you know, as, as, I think kind of obvious in some ways that 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 is it's also often disregarded as a priority among executive staff and I think that that they can often lose sight of how impactful it is to just acknowledge the people that are working their tail off for you. Well, um yeah. right? I mean like this whole ivory tower thing is I think a a really kind of I mean listen there's different styles of leadership but I I think that it's a really challenging dynamic when you know when to alienate your 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 people and just just that little bit of acknowledgement can go so so far oh, in yes. cultivating you know that that enthusiasm in your in your employees yes 100% yeah How did Meg, you mentioned she didn't make decisions in the moment that she, you know, would take time to kind of compose her thoughts and and then circle back. How did she do that? Did did she have kind of a way that she would sort of, you know, say to everybody, okay, great, you know, thanks for your input and I'll get back to you kind of thing? Or how did she, because sometimes I imagine there was a lot of pressure to address and resolve things in the moment, right? Because everything can feel so urgent and... Mm-hmm. critical. How did you see her actually introduce that moment of pause to allow herself that time? Um, well, like in exec staff meetings, you know, she'd be sitting around listening, taking her notes. And then basically in Meg fashion, you know, okay. <laughs> and she'd stand <laughs> up and I'll get, well, you know, we'll get back to you or, you know, then she'd go uh-huh. into her. Back then we, we started in offices. So at this point she was in her office. Um, but then, you know, she would have, you know, quiet conversations, maybe, maybe one-on-one with, with each member, 
you know, to contemplate or she'd mm -hmm. chat, she would chat with Pierre. Pierre would come in and they would be chatting or I know she would consult, you know, uh, folks outside the, the company. Uh, she was real good with, um, with benchmark capital, Bob Cagle and, and she were very good mm -hmm. friends, but, um, but yeah, she would, she would just basically get up and say, okay, you know, and leave the room and take her notes and, and contemplate them. And then, you know, another staff meeting, you know, this is, this is what's going to be done type of thing. Yeah. 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 So <clears throat> when I think about leadership and I think about in particular, the, the function of the CEO, there's so many things they have to do well, right? I mean, they've got to understand the entire breadth of the business. It's, it's, it's so different. And I hear this from a lot of executive assistants who, you know, maybe supported a CFO or they supported a whatever, a COO, but then they go to support a CEO and suddenly the scope of their role in supporting that individual has just amplified, you know, so many times over because when you're the CEO, there's so many things that you need to understand. It's not, mm -hmm. it's not enough to just understand one facet or one division of the company. You've got to understand the whole enchilada. Yep. So, I think about at the same time, like what are the kind of soft skills that a CEO needs to possess? And you know, the things that come to mind for me would be like things like commanding a room, um, being able to take charge, being able to negotiate effectively, being able to drive a conversation, um, achieve consensus when you know there might be disparate points of view or or conflict among your your ELT. Um, obviously problem solving, making decisions, inspiring people, mm -hmm. um, eliciting respect from people. Like these are just some of the things that I think it takes to be a top CEO, like, like those you've supported. So we obviously can't go into all of these things because there's a lot, but are there any, any observations that, that kind of stand out when you think about Meg and you think about Steven, you think about Lars, like in terms of how these leaders did or accomplished these types of things? Well, the one word that keeps coming to my mind is listen. You have to, you have to listen, you know, and I think if you're going to command a room, that's, that's inherent. I don't think that you can, you know, if you're going to go into a room and, and, and be, um, try to be a, I don't know how to, let me let me rephrase this. If you go into a room and you try to command it heavy handed, it's not going to get you very far. I think that with Meg and with Steven, you know, you go into a room and you're the sponge. You know, you, you set the stage of of the conversation and let the free flow of information come. So that, again, informed decisions, you know, um, with with Meg again, she, she wasn't a technology person, you know, she was a marketer and, and she, but she learned all these different, you know, aspects of eBay, you know, especially the technology. Um, I just think, I just think being a good listener is being a good business person. I don't know mm -hmm. how to mm -hmm. put it more simply because, mm -hmm. If you're if you're not listening to your senior staff, if you're not listening to your employees or your customers, you you don't have much, you know. Mm. So well, I, that's I, where the insights are. Yeah. Yeah. 
I just think I, I just think any business person you you got to listen. You know, if if your product isn't selling and your and your employees are saying, you know, this is the fault and and you want to stand your high horse, you're not going to sell many. <laughs> so mm. you're not going to sell much merchandise if you're not listening. Right. So yeah. Right. Yeah, I think that's great and I I think that's actually also a very profound takeaway for our listeners because if you think about it too i mean if if ever they're in a position similar to you know where you've been where they have the ability to observe and advise you know i would wager that there's definitely situations where executive assistants might see conflicts happening or tensions flaring that are really just the result of people not listening and not being open-minded or not being receptive to one another's point of view. And I think that that's a really important tool that executive assistants can, depending on the kind of relationship they have with their, with their partner, you know, that they can share and say, you know, but were you, (laughs) were you really hearing so-and-so? And And this is what I heard him say is -hmm. that, you know, did you actually process that? Because I think that it's so easy for ego and, and, you know, whatever else to intercept um, what, what people are trying to say. And it, it kind of hijacks the whole conversation. Yeah. And, and, you know, also too, if, you know, you can, you can hear, but you can hear it, but you don't, if you're not listening, you're not going to get it, <laughs> you know? Exactly. Um, mm-hmm. I think of, uh, just real quick, I was thinking of this is that like Stephen, it, it was always funny when, when he would be doing interviews, you know, for a VP or directors and, and they would meet with him. And, you know, I'm the first line of defense, if you will. You bring them in, you have that short little conversation, put them in a room, get your boss to go in there and do the interview. And the first thing after the person is gone is, Stephen, so what did you think, you know? And I would give my opinion of the person and he would hear me and sometimes he wouldn't listen. Mm. And, then, and, and then the person would get hired and then he would say, oh, no, I should have I should have listened, you know, type of thing. Mm. People can hear, but you have to listen in order to to make mm. those decisions in business. That's a great soundbite, Anita. Mm. Hearing is different than listening. And I think that also is is rooted in humility. And that was one of the things I opened up our conversation with is that I also think of you as fundamentally a very humble person. And I think that that is. Um, one of the qualities that you possess, you are receptive to information and to points of view, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So we, we said this a little bit about how this experience with these leaders is like the equivalent of earning an MBA, right? Or an organizational psychology degree. So how have these experiences impacted how you show up in your own life? Uh, have you been able to translate any of these skills or learnings in terms of how you navigate your your own world personally and professionally? Well, I'll tell you, you know, again, I've been an EA, I can't believe it, like 25, 26 years. And as I mentioned uh, in the beginning of my career, I was timid and I had always been timid as a child. I was timid and uh, if you will, unsure of myself, but I think that through the years, my confidence 
is a learned behavior. Mm. And I've always said that because, you know, back in the day, my mother used to say, Anita, get on the phone and call and see if the film's ready. And I couldn't even get on the phone with someone. <laughs> I was so shy. Mm. And, and throughout my career, not when I, by the time I got to Meg, I was, I was full bore confident. <laughs> it was the NASA business incubator that forced me to come out of my shell. And with that, and, and it translated into my own life, because I uh, became super organized. And mind you, I graduated in 95 with my associates in science and then changed my major to business. And I decided to go back to school in, I believe it was, uh, gosh, 2003 or something. Anyways, while I was working for Meg and traveling around the world with her, I was finishing my bachelor's degree in business. And all of that um, experience taught me to be organized in, in business and personal, confident, um, proactive, and, you know, think ahead of the curve. And I think that, you know, I do it at home. I have two sons. Um, mm -hmm. I'm organized with them. We do the same thing the same way every day. That's how I like to run my home. And also that's how I do uh, for my CEOs. I do the same thing the same way er every day. They get used to it. I'm used to it. I have a routine and nothing gets missed. And mm -hmm. the same with home, you know? Mm-hmm. So, mm -hmm. I know you mentioned that in the case of both Meg and Steven, you know, they, they kind of very organically wanted you to be in the room. It was a very natural extension of their leadership style and, and they saw, they, they wanted you there. They saw the value. What about though, for uh, some of our listeners today who maybe find themselves siloed or excluded from the type of discussions that you've described that would really allow them to have more context and more exposure. What advice do you have for them in terms of how they can earn a seat at the table? Well, my, my thing is, it's all going to depend on the type of relationship you have with your CEO. Now, Meg and, and Steven, again, you know, it, you know, you have to, you have to build trust with them, of course. And that comes with time. You just don't earn it. Um, I, it, I don't know. My mind says the relate, it's the relationship because I have been with Meg and I'm in the room and, you know, the meeting's over, I'm still in the room, but then they start talking off to the side. No one's asking me to leave, but I just kind of, you know, silently and professionally excuse myself, you know, same with Steven. I mean, there's many a times where I was in his office and we're going over things and the general counsel will come in and they're talking confidential information. And I just kind of, you know, will step back and, you know, Steven will say, Oh no, 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 just sit, sit right there. I'll, you know, we're just going to be a minute. So then I have mm. to, then I listen to the whole conversation and, you know, Stephen may, the, you know, general counsel may leave and then he may ask me questions about it. You know, I never, I have never offered my opinion when it's not 
asked. Um, if if I'm approached, you know, you know, by Meg or by by Stephen, then I then I offer. You mm. know, you know, I have always maintained total professionalism. You know, uh, with with Meg and 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 Stephen and with Lars. But, you know, I, I don't go into a room and I'm not, I don't know how to, I'm not chatty, you know, I'm there to do a job. And if, if, I mean, Meg and Steven, we had fun, we laughed and, but they initiated it. Do you understand? Mm -hmm. I do. Yeah. Yeah. They, they let their guards down. They, you know, cause with Meg, with Meg, I traveled the world with her and we had a private plane. So we would be in our, you know, little nightgowns at the back of the plane, <laughs> you know. <laughs> it sounds like one big slumber party over at eBay. Let me tell you. <laughs> I had so much fun with Meg. But, yeah. you know, the, guy, the, the guys would sleep up front and Meg and I would sleep side by side in the back of the plane. But anyways, those are the times where the guards are left down. Okay, now, if you will, you're friends and we're just having, you know, one-on-one uh, -on -one talk. But in the mm -hmm. business field, I, I was always professional and yeah. never, never, you know, too chatty. <laughs> I don't, that sounds horrible. No, I think I, that's so important to say, Anita, because from my perspective, you know, talking to these CEOs, I got to tell you, like discretion mm -hmm. and chattiness or lack thereof mm -hmm. is what they want. I mean, the last thing in the world they want is a, you know, uh, executive assistant who runs their mouth, right? Okay. And I have seen that and they don't get very far. They do so not. That's what I'm saying. No. You know, I mean, I have, I have through the years, uh, you know, interviewed EAs coming on board, whether at, um, eBay or, you know, quotient I have, and I always give them all the same advice. And it's probably a prelude to your next question, but, um, you know, you don't want to talk too much, <laughs> You know, mm -hmm. you want to be professional, you know, you, you, um, and then also in, I don't know, I think I'm old school with this, but you know, you, you have to dress the part as well. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, and this may be old school, but you know, you don't want to, if you're an EA and you're in, in a public forum, you know, you don't want to be wearing, you know, unless it's a, it's a casual, um, mm -hmm. You know, you don't want to be wearing holy jeans and a halter top, if you will. You know, yep. always, always business professional. In in all my career, you know, I loved getting up and wearing suits. You know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I worked with Meg so long that sometimes we'd go to work and then she'd come up and I'd look at her and I go, Meg, and she'd be wearing a blue suit with a yellow shirt, and I'd look at myself. I'm wearing a blue suit with a yellow shirt. I'm like, oh. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, but yeah. yeah, just you yeah. know. Professional, be professional. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And I, I think like some things just to, to paraphrase, like I agree. I mean, I think the role of the CEO assistant in particular is to be a vault. You have mm -hmm. got to think of yourself as a vault. And if there's even the slightest potential that something could be misconstrued or that somebody could, could, could accuse you of over sharing or communicating. You've got to err on the side of, you know, less is more. Oh, yeah. Um, and like you said too, I think that, you know, when you described the relationships and, um, kind of 
how familiar you allowed yourself to be with, with the individuals that you supported. I think what I'm hearing you say, and correct me if I'm, I'm misunderstanding you, but I think what I'm hearing you say is it's got to be on their terms. Like mm-hmm. you can't be the one to initiate the la-di-da, you know, shoot the breeze, whatever. It's got to be on their terms. And if they want to take it there, great. But you can't, you can't go there if that's not available to you. Correct. 100%. Mm-hmm. I think those are important things for, for our listeners to understand and hear. Um, yeah. So, and you did kind of, I, my, I was going to ask you about, you know, excusing yourself from meetings if you ever felt like it was not appropriate. And I think you, you, you did address that, that so there were some moments where you felt like the conversation was veering in, in a direction that maybe shouldn't include you. And I, and, and you would take your leave at, at those times. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is also important to note is you've really got to kind of display the, the kind of EQ to know when it's more appropriate to leave. Yeah. And I mean, you don't make a big to do out of it. You just quietly, mm-hmm. quietly and professionally walk away, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's, all you, that's yeah. all you have to do. And then continue as you were, you know, doing your, mm-hmm. doing your work, doing you your know. thing. Yep. Yep. So we talked about this, you know, this incredible, uh, career that you've led and, and just these phenomenal experiences that, that you've, that you've enjoyed and and had the opportunity to, to, to have, um, what we haven't talked about though, are some of the sacrifices that you've had to make along the way. And I'd, I'd be curious to know, you know, what, what, what that looked like for you and, some of those moments that were, that were hard, that really, you know, kind of took it, took their toll on you. Mm-hmm. Well, when I worked for Meg back in the day, I did not have children. So the demands, it was very demanding. I was a 24 seven with Meg and, uh, but it was okay because I was on my own. Um, I would, I would be woken up in the middle of the night. One one time, Meg was uh, in China. We had uh, some issues with our with our site in China, and Meg was in China. And I think it was it might have been about three in the morning, my time. My phone rings, and I answer it, and it's Meg, and she says, "Anita, I need you. I have to come back to the states for a board issue, but you're coming back with me." Well, thank goodness I had my visa already mm. and I had to get up and leave, get up and go. Of course, mind you, I didn't have, you know, responsibilities of, of children, but I packed my bags and we, I flew on a private jet to mm-hmm. China. And actually in 2005, uh, I finished my senior thesis in a hotel room in Shanghai. Oh my it, God. Because I, <laughs> I lived there. I lived in, I lived in China for one uh-huh. month with Meg. Wow. And yeah, it was aw- it was awesome. I mean, it was awesome experience. With Meg, lots of sacrifices, but it didn't affect anybody but myself. Steven, uh, I would say not so much. I did have children uh, at the time of working with Steven, uh, but they were very accommodating. And fortunately, you know, I, I did have a, a nanny taking care of the kids, so the kids were able to do their extracurricular activities and have the homework done. Uh, so that was great. So 
a little bit of a sacrifice not being able to, you know, make my son's dinner, but I was always home to, you know, do the evening stuff and put them to bed. Um, when I, when I um, worked for Lars, uh, that, that I would say was a sacrifice because my children at the time were uh, babies. And so, and Lars was also 24 seven. And, you know, if, if the, the car didn't show up and, and you have a baby crying, you know, hanging on your leg, you got to get the job done. And the baby had to cry. You know what I'm saying? That's kind of the way I worked. Um, many a time, uh, in working when I worked with Lars, that little stent, uh, my kids were, I think Michael must have been maybe, maybe, you know, 11 months old. <gasps> was yeah. he that little? Oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah, and David was a year. I mean, they're only, you know, they're uh, 14 months apart. But but that, I felt it. I felt the sacrifice there. You know, I'd be yeah. putting them both, you know, putting laying with them, putting them both to bed as babies. And, you know, uh, I'm getting text messages left and right you know, while, uh, you know, he's at a restaurant and do this and do that, you know, it, that, that was rough. That was a rough period, you know? Uh, but then I moved on from that and, and then everything changed once I got to, uh, at the time coupons.com because they were very accommodating for my children. Yeah. You right. Know? Right. And, and then with coupons, I mean, I worked from home. I've been home for five years now, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that, I mean, it, that does also, I think bring up an important point, which is that you have to also find, you know, the, the, the job that's appropriate for where you are in life. And, um, <clears throat> not, not, not everything that you can do when you're a free agent, you can do when you're attached in those ways, you know? Yes. And so I, you also I, have I'm, to set yourself up. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I'm right now I'm, uh, working as a personal assistant, um, uh, and he's in Chicago, so I'm still working from home. And um, life is good, you know. Yeah. I have a good, I have a good relationship with him. I've only known him now a little over a year, maybe two years now, but the relationship is coming along, which is nice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah. So yeah, I have no doubt it will be another. <laughs> phenomenal relationship the, yeah, the way yeah. that you work that's that's your track record Anita that's your track yeah. record um closing thoughts on advice for other EAs who want to have a kind of career like you've had where they can support a titan you know I mean you mentioned some key things along the way about obviously you know minding your p's and q's and um, being a good listener and being a vault and not oversharing, but, um, any other, you know, advice that you would share with people, um, that want to have the same kind of career that you've had? Yeah, I think, I think several things. Number one, and most importantly is be organized. There's no reason why you should miss a task because Everything needs to be written down. Be organized. You know, when I worked for Meg and Stephen, I had, they both had me um, every morning scan their in inbox, their mail inbox, scan their sent files, and then, you know, 
basically they really didn't have to tell me what to do because I already read everything. I knew what, you know, I knew what next steps that Meg had asked for because I saw her say, I'll have Anita follow up. Well, she didn't have to tell me because I read it, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so be super organized, hyper organized, write everything down, cross it off when you're done. And in every single day, make your list of what you want to accomplish that day. Um, and if you don't get to it, you know, circle it on the list and add it to the following day. Uh, the other thing is, oh, I, I said that, take notes. Always take notes. If you're in a meeting with your boss, take notes. When you get back to your desk, if there's something that you wrote down that you don't quite understand what you wrote, don't be afraid to go back in there and get clarification and ask question. The last thing you want to do is for fear of embarrassment or they might think that, you know, you don't get it. They'll think worse of you if you get it wrong. You know, get it right, get it right the first time. I am a stickler for that. You know, get it right the first time. You know, if you're asked to do something or if you're asked for some information, uh, there is no, I don't know. There, you know, th get that, those words out of your vocabulary, you know, I'll find that for you right now, or let me look into that, or just never let them see a sweat. <laughs> that has yeah. been my motto, yep. you know. Yep. And then, and then I think lastly is always check your work, you know, grammar, grammar, grammar. <laughs> um, you know, when you're writing, make sure that, you know, you dot the I and the period and the commas are all in the right spots. You know, um, I think grammar is really important to a lot of people, you know, are used to spell check, but good old fashioned grammar in writing correspondence is key. You know, mm -hmm. you're an extension mm -hmm. of the executive's office and you don't want to be having all these typos, you know, as you send out correspondence. So I think what's worked for me over all these years is, you know, be professional, don't talk too much, be super organized, don't be afraid to ask questions and, and you know, triple check your work. I think, mm -hmm. I think that's good. And, and again, like you said, you're a vault, you know, you, you're going to be hearing tons of information but it doesn't go anywhere, you know. I remember uh, I had uh, I was in New York. We had a we had a strategy meeting out there, and I had dinner with the president of the company. And we were sitting there, and he says to me, and I had he had just come on board, and he's oh Stephen, you know, talks very highly of you. He said you're part of the executive staff, and you know, open book you know, we can talk to you about anything. And I thought that was really nice. You know, I want to mm -hmm. be any job I do. I want to be considered, um, that trustworthy where I am named under executive staff. Yeah. You know? So, and that's, that's, and that's where I've been, you know, that's, that's how I'm treated and that's what I'm used to, mm -hmm. you know, and it's a great place to be. It know? is, it is. I wanted to circle back on one quick thing that you said about <clears throat> scanning the inbox. Oh, yeah. And so I think that makes a ton of sense. I mean, that's how you can really glean insights as far as what's what's pressing for your executive, what they've addressed, what hasn't been addressed, what needs follow-up, all those things. But I also think about, you know, these days, there's so many modalities for communication do you find that it that's harder to do because you know a, an executive may be in their inbox they may also be in asana or notion or slack 
or teams and, and, and getting, you know, slapped and, and message from a variety of different sources. So have you found it harder to be able to monitor those types of things, given just the, the, the kind of exponentially more chaotic, you know, um, structures that we have now? Or what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, if I go back and it's almost the olden days, if you talk about Meg in the 90s, right, the Internet bubble. So back then, back then, you know, uh, Meg was on a paper calendar. Uh, I got her, I got her on a computer and I got her and I networked. And then, and so I was able to, you know, read her inbox and all of that. And then back then was Blackberries. Remember mm-hmm. those? Oh yeah. <laughs> and, and so, but we didn't have, we didn't have so much chat and Meg wasn't, you know, doing the chatting, but what I did have, and it turned from Blackberry, then it, we evolved to iPhones was I had, she had a Blackberry. I had my own Blackberry, but then I had a second Blackberry that was hers. So anywhere I was, I had my laptop, but I could be anywhere and I would be scanning her inbox, you know, from on, it's her Blackberry, you know, has all her information, but I would be scanning in and calling things out to her that she needed, you know, or uh, I had it also too. She had it on her phone, but uh, love Meg. She was really dependent on me. I made her that way. <laughs> and <laughs> she, she would be, you know, saying, can I get so-and-so's phone number? Well, she has it, but, you know, of course I have it. So you know, send it over to her right away. Um, when I got with Steven, same thing. I, we had barely started on the, the, um, the instant messaging Slack, etc. Mm-hmm. I didn't find that I was missing out on too much. Um, because Steven and I talked on a regular basis and most of, most of the directives came via email, you know, or just directly from him. If there mm-hmm. was any slack thing, he would always bring things up to me and then we would chat about it. But, uh, um, you know, if, if he was doing a, a meeting with his engineers on, on there, I, I wouldn't know nothing about what was said unless there was a directive that came out of it, you know, mm-hmm. okay. and, then he would, and then he would, you know, forward something over to me. But yeah, that would, that would be difficult, you know, if they're making plans and it's on slack and you hear nothing of it. <laughs> Yeah. And I think those are, you know, when I think about some of the challenges that come up for our clients, uh, oftentimes it's how do I streamline communication? What are some kind of communication protocols and standards and just ways of of operating? It seems Mm -hmm. like that becomes progressively more of an issue and, and communication breakdown. So kind of solving the communication riddle seems to be an important one. Yeah, I think but, also uh, too, I was going to say, you know, every day with Meg and Lars and, but you know, Megan's, uh, Megan, Steven, every day I would meet with them. I put myself on the calendar and I would have, if not one, two pages of different things to ask about, you know, and, and, and get my answers that way. And okay. And then you end it with, is there anything I need to know? You know, mm-hmm. is there anything, going, you know, and then, mm-hmm. oh yeah, you know, and then tell me something or, or nope, we're good, you know, and then, you know, 
we would chit chat or, or then, I, or I would just leave the room and continue on with what I was doing. Wow. So, so that was daily for you. Yeah. Every day I meet with them. Yes. You have That's to. That's fascinating because I, I hear a lot of assistants say, I can't even get my executive to agree to once a week meetings. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> I mean, you, you know, I told Meg and I told Steven the same thing is when I interviewed with them, I said, you know, we do the formalities of, of what you've done, this and that. But the last question I did with Meg and with uh, Stephen is, okay, so I have a question. Do you want to be managed? And I remember Meg was fine with it. Meg was giddy, you know. Hmm. Stephen, I remember, I can still see his face. He got... <laughs> When I asked him that, he got a boyish grin. It was uh -huh. so cute. But he got a boyish grin, and he just looked at me and smiled and kind of nodded his head sheepishly, like, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's, mm -hmm. the way I, that's the way I work, and I don't, you know, uh, and I still, and I do it with Matt, too, right now, is that's the thing. Do you want to be managed? Because it's my job and any EA's job to manage them. They want to be managed. They don't want to be hunting for things. They don't want to, you know, with Meg and even with Steven, you know, you have to think ahead of what they're, what they're thinking. Do before they even ask. And, and once you build a relationship with them throughout the years, you get that, you know, and, and, and you're doing it. And they're like smiling ear to ear saying, I was just going to ask you that. And it feels so good. It's satisfaction. I really enjoy being an EA for all these years. It, it works for me. I love it. I mean, I think that's evident in the way that you talk about it and the pride and, and really that I can hear, I can hear the joy in your voice. I can hear the, the satisfaction um, that you've experienced, you know, in, in being able to, to do this job so well and the value that you've been able to create. Like I can, I can really hear it. And it's, it's interesting because I know you started off on a nursing track and obviously you're not a nurse. But there's an element of, you know, I, I think that what, what comes across to me is just how much you enjoy the care aspect of what you do and, and how much you really, you know, want to take that over, like take over those burdens for them and, and really just offer them back a, a, better, a better quality of, of, of existence. You know, that's, that's really how I see your, your role. Yeah. And, you know, I wasn't just an executive assistant. I was also personal assistant at the same time, you know, and, uh, you know, that takes a lot of trust on their end, you know, to allow me, you know, allow me in, you know, it does. So I have a final question for you yeah. and it's the same question I ask of everybody. And I know you've had some great support relationships in your time, so uh, this might be hard for you. But if there was somebody that you could support throughout the course of history, time, living, deceased, doesn't matter, who would you like to support and why? Okay, so this is a good question because, you know, after working for Meg for 12 years, six months, I was like, what am I going to do? You know, and then I started thinking about you know, who do I want to support? And I, I never took the step, but I would say that if I could support, I would like to support um, Cheryl Sandberg. Oh, yeah. yeah. And yeah. I've, I've known of her from way back in the day in the 90s. And I just 
one, um, I think of her like I think of Meg. I've, I've never met her, Cheryl. I've never met her, but, you know, she's, in, she's an empowering person. She empowers women and, and I'm sure in general is, you know, has that empowering nature for her leadership style. Um, but I, I just think that, you know, um, she would be someone like Meg. She would turn into a good friend. Um, I think that, you know, she's a visionary, all, all the adjectives, she's a visionary, she's charismatic, you know, um, good communicator. And, um, I also think she's a good leader. She has five leadership lessons and, you know, I read through them and they resonate with, with, uh, Meg, Stephen, myself, and I just wanted to read them if you don't mind. Oh, please. Yeah. Well, so, um, I read that she has five leadership lessons, uh, that help you in decision-making. And, and that reminds me of Meg and hers is self-perception plays a key role in success. I think that's right on, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're confident within yourself, you know, you can convince anybody, correct? Mm -hmm. um, and then learn from other people's challenges, create a culture of open communication. And the last one she has is have courage to address problems that others hide from. So, um, I think with these, with these leadership lessons and just things and, and some of the videos that I've watched of her, I, I just think that she's a, a great leader. You know, I, I, don't know if she'll ever be in a CEO role, but if it was ever to come up, I would certainly like to meet her in person. Yeah. At least just to get to know her, you know. Uh, I mean, as a professional matchmaker, recruiting matchmaker, that is, I, I see the parallel. <laughs> I think that could be a pretty powerful uh, union. So, yeah. yeah. And, you know, yeah. And, and, you know, in closing, like you said, I'm a... And I always say it to myself, I'm a, I'm a traditional, I call it old school executive assistant. I think back then, I, I don't, I'm not bringing myself down or anything, but I am a full-fledged uh, executive assistant, secretary, if you will. Um, I, I'm not afraid of anything, you know. I, I, through all these years, I've gained so much confidence in myself and in my abilities. And then personally, you know, uh, I am... Uh, I'm not, I'm not chatty, but I have things to say. I have ideas and, um, and yeah, I, I encourage anybody, you know, administrative assistant, up and coming EA assistant, you know, if, if you love it, continue because, you know, once you get good at something, you know, there's no turning back really. Yeah. But also, but find the love, right? Like make sure you love it too. And, oh yeah, definitely. You, you know, and I, you have to be you happy. You gotta love it. Like you'll never be, you'll never be great at something that you don't love. And I think that you've got to find, and you may not love, just to be clear, you may not love every single part of your job all the time, right? Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. find, find kind of the overarching thing that, that ignites you, that uh, rewards you. And really connect to that because that's going to be what propels you to the big leagues. Oh, yeah. Well, Anita, 
I have so enjoyed this conversation. Oh, I, I can't thank you enough for sharing your incredible story. I really feel like somebody should license your story and turn it into a movie because it is it is so fascinating. Like just all of the things and the people that you met and the movers and shakers and the world that you traveled. And as you were talking about, I, could, I was literally picturing you in some random hotel room in Shanghai, like banging out your thesis oh, and yeah. slurping yeah. on some noodles. Or like, it's just like, <laughs> like it's such an interesting an eclectic life and career you've you've been able to have as a result of this profession yes. so Love it's it. just such a wonderful story yeah mm -hmm. yeah and i think uh you know um kudos to meg whitman you know mm -hmm. everything everything uh once meeting her my career just blossomed and and i blossomed and i became really good at something that was in me all along you know, i just didn't know it yet Reach is brought to you by Maven Recruiting Group, who specializes in placing executive assistants and support staff to the Bay Area's most prominent executives and companies. If you've enjoyed being part of our podcast community and are interested in becoming part of our candidate community, we're currently hiring for roles in San Francisco, Silicon Valley, and Los Angeles. You can visit us at www.mavenrec.com to see some of the roles we're currently working on and to submit your resume.